So Money, episode 61, Michael O'Neill. You're listening to So Money with award-winning money guru, Farnoosh Karabi. Each day, get a 30-minute dose of financial inspiration from the world's top business minds, authors, influencers, and from Farnoosh herself. Looking for ways to save on gas or double your double coupons? Sorry, you're in the wrong place. Seeking profound ways to live a richer, happier life? Welcome to So Money. Good day to all of you. Welcome back to So Money. I'm your host, Farnoosh Tarabi. So one of my recent guests on the show, Amanda Steinberg, if you recall, she's the founder of dailyworth.com and a friend. She said that she, quote, ate struggle for breakfast throughout her life. And, you know, I, I sense that's a trend that I'm starting to see across the board with many of my guests, especially the, the very highly successful individuals that stop by So Money. Um, And today's guest, Michael O'Neill, is no exception. From losing both of his parents seven months apart to losing all of his savings as well as his house, he endured what many of us fear the most, which is hitting rock bottom. But he never stopped. He never made excuses. He just kept going. And Michael O'Neill is here with us today to share that story and inspire all of us. Michael today is the creator and host of the highly acclaimed podcast, Solopreneur Hour, where he interviews the best and brightest solopreneurs from all walks of life. I've actually had the privilege of being on that show. And when he's not podcasting himself, he helps others learn how to podcast and launch their own brands online. Now, three takeaways from our time with Michael. One, why he started Solopreneur Hour and what it means to be a solopreneur. Can anyone be one? Are you one right now and don't even know it? A time in his life when he had just $14 left and how he climbed out of that hole. And a key influencer in Michael's career that he actually never met. Here is Michael O'Neill. Michael O'Neill, welcome to So Money, my friend. How are you? I'm so good. I'm so happy to be here with you. Thank you so much for having me, partners. Likewise. You know, I uh, we just met recently. I just launched a podcast. You have been successfully running your podcast. Before you had this podcast, you had a whole different life. You've actually described it as the angst of setting up a solopreneur business. I think there's way too many things to do when you're, <laughs> you know, this is, it's the, um, it's the classic E-Myth Revisited where we think that, um, we can just like be good at something and then go start a, a gig and do it. But all the other stuff, the webs, like who knew how to create a website and, you know, actually brand yourself and, and then set up your financial side. Like, do I need to be an LLC or do I need to set it up this way or that way? Um, then if you add something like podcasting to it, it's a whole, as you know, it's a whole nother level of complexity because you have to learn how to use mixers and how to use a microphone and how to speak to people and tell a story and, and a narrative and, these are skills that people don't naturally have. So for me, even though I was like, I was a web guy for 18 years before I started all this. And I had been a musician, like a professional musician forever. So I had kind of a background in all of this. And it was still a ton of work to set up, you know, a podcast and actually create it. So I, I think that's the angst side is that even when you're good at doing something, there are so many things that you don't know how to do when it comes to launching your own business or being a a solopreneur in my case. One school of thought is, well, if you don't know something, outsource it. 
And so what's your take on that? Do you think that uh, there's a a lost art perhaps to educating yourself on even the minutiae, which at the end, you know, maybe you don't want to do that, but it's good to know how to do that. Yeah. And it's actually one of the things I love to talk about, um, which is I think people outsource too much at the beginning. I think that when you're going through a, a process, you've got to really get your hands dirty and, and understand it well first. And once you've done that and you go, okay, I got this now, you can sort of scale and, and, and move on and outsource it. Like for me, I barely outsource anything. Um, all I outsource is my show notes. So I have someone who listens to the show and then writes a really nice blog post about it. That's it. That's my whole business of, of outsourcing. Um, on occasion, like right now I'm working on a, a little side web project for a, um, for a training course I'm making. So, and this was a big step for me is I'm actually outsourcing design. And I was a web designer for years and for most of my career actually. And so that's a little hard for me. I'm like, okay, I've got to let that go. But my buddy, Chris Ducker calls that superhero syndrome. <laughs> and it's a thing that we have to get better at not doing as solopreneurs. We have to, uh, we have to step away from that and allow other people to do it better. Um, my, my, my real world lesson of that was I was in a hurry one weekend. And even though this place has been next to me for years and years and years, I took my laundry to the, to the laundromat and I just dropped it off. And they were like, okay, you know, come back at five o'clock. And, and I came back at five o'clock and it was $15 and all my laundry was done and folded and fluffed and it smelled great. And it was, they even folded the fitted sheet, which I can't do. And I was like, wow, this is amazing. And I've never done a load of laundry since. Like I, I recognized how amazing that service was, but we do it all the time with like, you know, cleaning people or someone washing your car or, you know, we just don't, we don't sort of associate it with our business, but it does make sense when you don't have the time or don't have the energy to do those kinds of things. I, uh, I talk about this math that you can do to figure out whether it's worth it to outsource a project or a task. So what I like to do is I take your, you take your annual income, knock off the last three zeros and divide that remaining figure by two. That's your hourly rate for you. And if it costs you less to have someone else do something, then it's worth outsourcing. So let's say you make a hundred. Wait, say that again. Hold on. Say that again. I got to do this. I'm going to do it right now. I'm going to walk you through it. Let's say uh, you make uh, $50,000 a year. And so take off the last three zeros. That That leaves you with 50. Divide that by two. Your hourly rate is $25 an hour. You personally. Okay. So if it's going to cost you 15 bucks for someone to do your laundry, and by the way, it would have taken you like four hours to do that laundry. Yeah. It is well worth it to outsource. Right. Um, You know, so just uh, something to keep in mind. Right. So now I know, I know, I know my number. Yes. Now you you call your show the solopreneur hour. That's right. Can I be an entrepreneur and a solopreneur or are there discrepancies? I think the, the difference is that an entrepreneur is typically trying to build a business and a solopreneur is focusing mainly on time freedom and financial freedom. So they're not necessarily looking to sort of start the next Microsoft, mm. but they can live where they want to live and they can do what they want to do. And they have, and they can take their kid out, you know, in the middle of the afternoon for a hike if they want to. Whereas I think an entrepreneur is maybe a little more focused on, on, you know, sometimes those 70 hour weeks and really 
head down and, and having employees and those kinds of things. And then the other side of it is a solopreneur, and this is really the selfish part of why I did the show. Solopreneurs are anybody when you hire their business, you're really getting them. So it could be a doctor or it could be a real estate agent or for the fun ones, it could be an actor or a comedian or a musician. Those are all solopreneurs. So for me, I was like, how can I have a show and in, sort of embody the people that I want to talk to, which are online business people and people that have done these really incredible things, but cater to the fun side of sort of, I, you know, I'm a huge stand-up comedian fan. So mm-hmm. um, I, I want to talk to them and I want to have an excuse. I need a vehicle to talk to the people I want to talk to. And, and th- that word solopreneur really sort of uh, embodies, <laughs> embodies that. Well, thanks for I, thanks for defining it like that because sometimes I personally I wonder am I an entrepreneur am I a solopreneur am I um, am I just a, a small business owner like what am I not that labels really matter but I had Seth Godin on the show recently and he was saying that an entrepreneur is somebody who creates something that's bigger than themselves and. While I like to think that what I'm creating is bigger than me, I do think that when people hire me, they hire me for me sometimes, you know, because yeah. I bring to the table an expertise that is unique, a, a point of view that is unique, a presentation that is uh, very farnoosh. And so maybe I'm a little bit of both. Um, but no, I'm not, I'm not looking to create farnoosh Tarabi Omnimedia. <laughs> right. I think you can be both for sure. I think you can definitely be both. Uh, it depends on whatever the endeavor is at the time. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So if you were to start, let's say you were to write a book, then you'd be an author. Right. So you can be an author and a solopreneur. Then you take that book and turn it into a training series. And now hundreds of thousands of people and you, and you have to have someone to management. Well, that's you being an entrepreneur. That's, that's that piece of it, I think. Well, I wanted to have you on the show, Michael, because uh, you know, your journey is one of uh, bravery. It's one of uh, just hard work and taking risks. And I am curious to talk with people who have these types of journeys. And I'm more curious about kind of your financial path and how you think about money, uh, what you do with your money. So my first question for you kind of to kick us off is what is your financial philosophy? Um, my financial philosophy is that money comes and goes. Uh, I've seen it. I've seen it firsthand. I've seen it go really rapidly. Um, and then I've seen it come in really rapidly. And so I think we do wrap ourselves, we wrap our brains a little bit in um, sort of being rich. Everyone wants to be rich. And I, I had a few years ago, I read this blog post of Tim Ferriss and Ramit Sethi. And they, it was a blog post called Building a Bulletproof Financial Automation System. And I remember looking at that thing like longingly where it's, you could, the money would come in and then it would automatically be disseminated to where it needed to go between savings and like tax and then paying your bills and just going, what would that be like to, to not have to go, where am I going to get $114 to pay insurance, you know, this month? Like that was a fascinating world for me to, to not have to worry about that. Um, I, and I was in the middle of it, you know? I watched um, that video, but it was a, Ramit did like a nice video tutorial as well, right? I think it yeah, was, it was yeah. cool. And I remember just thinking, wow, what I, my life is made. If I could ever get to a point where this, this is, I would br- bring a dollar in and it would automatically go where it needed to go. And I just didn't have to worry about it anymore. It would be great. Um, so I never had these aspirations of like, I need to be a rich guy. That said, I do have caviar taste in things. 
Um, I have, I really like, I like old cool things. So I like vintage watches and vintage cars and hi-fi. I like really fancy stereo stuff. And none of that stuff is inexpensive. Like everything I just said, like the base price is three grand and then it just goes from there. And so it's, <coughs> excuse me, it's hard to have that taste and, and, and have no money, you know, cause then you're really, you're, you're li- literally living a dream. So, um, I think my philosophy was, I'm not going to worry about it too much. Uh, I'm going to kind of put my head down and pick myself up by my bootstraps and I'm going to work hard. And I didn't know what the destination was. I think that's one of the keys for me is that I didn't have an end game where this thing was what success was. This is the goal. It was like, I'm just going to crank for a long time and I'm going to look up at some point and hopefully things have gotten better. And that's kind of what happened, to be honest. I, I, I went from having no money, like $14, to going into this network marketing company where I didn't know anything about that world, then meeting a bunch of people and then taking that and turning it into podcasting for someone who's in that industry. And then eventually my own podcast. And somewhere in there, there was social media training and stage time and things I didn't know I was capable of. But it was kind of like, let me look towards the top of the mountain and not be too concerned about how I'm going to get there, but just know that I'm climbing. And it's sort of, I don't know, that's sort of woo-woo maybe a little bit, but... Um, <laughs> Michael O'Neill is being woo-woo? I know, but <laughs> it's true. I think, I think we get hung up on the, uh, on the details too much as, as uh, sort of potential entrepreneurs and solopreneurs. I think we get too, too, too planned. Mm-hmm. And I think really, if you just start, if you become a doist and just start doing things, then your life is going to get better. and You're going to make a little more money. Do you think you had training in this growing up, whether it was no. intentional or not? No, no. Although I will say that some of the things I was like, I, I think I did have a bit of Mr. Miyagi preparation um, as it, I, I didn't know that listening to Howard Stern so much was going to matter in my <laughs> career. <laughs> I'm not even kidding. Um, that's not even a joke. I, I, I realized, <clears throat> excuse me, now I realize how brilliant of a broadcaster Howard Stern is take away the, you know, dial a date or whatever. Um, what an amazing interviewer he is. And, and, and the things he gets out of people is it's not by accident. He's incredibly well-researched and well-read and, and understands how to connect very disparate thoughts and ideas. And that's how he's able to, to sort of like a, like a brilliant trial lawyer mm-hmm. work his way into someone who's been interviewed a million times. They're ready. They're, they're, the walls are up. They walk into that studio going, I'm not giving him anything. And all of a sudden their, their publicist is going, how did you say that? <laughs> so My friend is a like, writer on the show. And trust me, it's a blast working for him. I believe it. And so this, just the, the idea that someone can sort of Trojan horse so well uh, these, these wonderful interviews with people that, that are expecting it and intentionally resisting it and still able to get it out of them. That to me is like, wow. And so having listened to him for so long from that standpoint, and now from a whole different perspective, since I'm now, you know, a broadcaster, I listen to his shows almost fully from a technical side. And I go, oh, that's really interesting that he did that with that, and mm-hmm. not with this. I would have gone this way and he went that way. And that's why he's him. Um, but I guess financially, no, I had no, I had zero preparation for any of this. In fact, before we saw, I spoke, I, I shared that I was like, 
I had money come in. I literally didn't know what to do with it. Like it's, I'm just holding this check going, okay, then what happens? So I just put it away. It seems dumb. You know, you recall having $14 in your pocket and kind yeah. of being at the, uh, the brink of a new journey for your career. Would you say that was a, a failure time for you? Financial failure? I had, um, uh, <coughs> excuse me. I'm sorry for keeping coughing. Um, I had this, uh, a condo that I bought in Boulder, Colorado, and I was woefully behind in the payments from all of this chaos that had been in my life. And finally I sold a couple, I had a, a couple of cars, one car that I'd paid off my only car ever. And, um, I paid it off and, and, uh, I had another car that happened to be what was my parents. And I sold both of those. And then I did like some project and I handed over to Washington mutual a check for $14,000. It was literally every dime I had at the time. And that saved my house. Like that was the, it was December of 2007, no, 2008. And I saved my house and I was so happy that I saved this thing. Well, three months later, I got another bill from them for like $7,000. It said, yeah, we're, we were in pre foreclosure hearings. So you have to pay for that. And it's seven. Oh my gosh. And it was right at the, it was, it was very awfully timed, which was, it was right when JP Morgan Chase was buying Washington mutual. And it was at the rock bottom of the housing crisis. So I got swept up into all of that, even though my actual story wasn't that story. It wasn't, it wasn't because I was just a deadbeat. It was because I had this major financial devastation that happened to me. And I was trying like versus most people that weren't. And I, that was it. I couldn't hack it. I couldn't, there was no more, you know, the well was dry. So I said, well, okay, the house is going to be yours then. And I was out and they gave me some, I don't know, a couple of dollars. And then I bought a ticket to Europe with that money that they gave me. And um, yeah, I came back and it was $14 is what I had. And that there was no more rock bottom for me because I thought at the time that was my idea that that I was successful, right? It was like, I had a good, got a good gig, had a good job. I, I had a house, I had, you know, whatever. And it was, I look back at that person now and go, that is so far removed from what I consider successful now. Um, because I'm sort of looking at this, this gray area above me going, this is, I need to make, I need to make more money. Not that I need to understand money better and have a better life, but I, I need to make more money. And um, now I have a totally different perspective on that from a financial standpoint. Yeah, because you're saying now you have money and you're, you're wondering what to do with it. Yeah. <laughs> well, th th I don't mean that for that to sound like as trite as no, no, it no, does. No, no. I, I just, just I'm, I'm, I'm an imbecile when it comes to finance. Um, and I feel like I've, I've read all the books and I've done the stuff and I've, I was just reading Tony Robbins new book and, um, there's, everyone's a guru. So it's like, where do you, <laughs> who do you trust? You know? Yes. Well now fast forward to the immense success of your podcast and this is now your full-time job. What about a financial success? Has this podcast presented what you might define as a financially a so money moment? <laughs> Yeah. Um, yes. is the answer. I, I've, <laughs> I've spent, so I, I spent, I don't know, five years wanting for someone who's like into gear and into gadgets. Like I am, it's, it's hard to just sort of watch, uh, the world consume those and not having that. So, uh, for me, it was like, I'd had on my, my vision board. There's another woo woo. Um, <laughs> I had this vintage watch that I'd always wanted and there was nothing more superfluous than a watch. Like if a fancy watch for a guy, it's just like, it's, 
there's, I mean, it's nice. We don't really need it anymore. The iPhone does, you know, way more than a, a watch could do. But there is, and, and, it, and it doesn't necessarily have to be a status symbol like a fancy gold Rolex or something. This is just a very subtle, cool thing that I always wanted, but it was way too far out there. I remember um, I was speaking to a friend of mine in January and, he, and I said, you know, this year, this will be the year. He goes, this isn't going to be the year. He's like, you're going to get this thing in six months. And he was right. I ended up buying this watch from a guy in France in June. And I remember having this Tony Soprano moment <laughs> where it was two o'clock in the afternoon. I'm floating in this pool in San Diego in the middle of the afternoon. It's like a Thursday or something. I'm floating on my back, looking up into the sky. I just gotten that watch this, that day. And I was like, all right, I, this feels pretty good. <laughs> like it was like, uh, yeah, all right. And, and what it was for me was a, cause it's so out there from a, from a purchase standpoint, it's not crazily expensive, but it's a couple of, you know, mortgage payments. And, and I, I thought this is the cap of this five year journey this day right now. I've I'm concluding the, the struggle. The struggle is over now. The, 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 the rags to riches part is over. And now I have to start looking into the future for the next phase. And that's what I thought that moment was that that, that success was the, 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 the tip and the celebration of five years of hard work and not knowing what was going on and very chaos. And then there it was. And now I've got this new lease that I'm focusing on. I love that story because when I ask this question, sometimes you hear about, well, I got the job or I, I started my business and those were all fantastic moments and incredible lessons. But I think what I'm hearing from you is that, you know what, my so money moment was when I enjoyed my money for the first time in a long time. And it was on a splurge. Ever. ever. It was not in a long time. Ever. <laughs> it was ever. It was ever. And it was, it was a ever. splurge, but it sounds like you really appreciated it. And are you wearing that watch right now? <laughs> I'm not, but, but, uh, when it's not I, an everyday I'm, kind of watch. No, it's not. It's, you have to, you have to wear it every once. It's a, it's when I, when I got it, it, I'd only seen it in pictures. I'd never seen it in real life. And so when I got it and I looked at it and it's so incredibly detailed and, and it literally looked like a piece of jewelry. And I was like, oh, that's why it costs this much money. Like someone made this, someone made this 40, 42 years ago Wow. by hand. And you can tell. So, yeah. There is a watch that I have my eye on, but I just, <laughs> I feel like no matter how much money I make, I will never be able to justify the watch purchase. Because now I also, I'm a mom and I feel like mm. there's always other things that I should be focusing on. And perhaps, yeah, if I won the Powerball, which I think it's like $450 million right now, I mm. might buy a few of those watches. Do you have habits uh, that help to keep your money where it needs to be. I, I'm just curious. Do you have a, some people have daily uh, habits. I just got off the phone with no. someone who was like, I wake up every morning and I do wealth affirmations. I don't yeah, do any of that. Uh, I like, I like mint.com a lot. Mm -hmm. um, I use that just as a little check-in. I'm pretty good about knowing what I have in every account and kind of what's coming in. I'm way better now. I, I think I went through this little burst of like, Hey, I have money. I've got to get stuff. And then I did. And so I'm like, okay, I have stuff and now I'm good. <laughs> you know, so I don't have this thing where I need to go buy stuff, but I like, <laughs> I keep a pretty good idea of, of what I've got. Uh, habit wise. No, not really. I'm very boring financially in that way. I, I don't, um, like I said, I don't know as much. I, I want advice. I need advice from you. Well, um, I'll be on the show soon. So we can do that. <laughs> that's right. You can do that. Yeah. We're doing that. I think tomorrow. Um, but, but no, not really. I think mint.com is one of my favorites. I, I try to keep everything as automated as I can. So as in terms of my bills and that kind of thing, I like to do their auto, their auto pay. Cause I'm, I, I could have money in the bank and forget to pay a bill and be like three months behind on it. Oh yes. And that's, I do that. Like that's like, it's my job. There's two things that, that were mission critical for me. One being 
I focused when I came back from Europe and I had very little money. I focused on keeping my overhead really, really as low as possible. So, you know, shared a room with a roommate for years, you know, so my, my rent was like $500 instead of $1,500 or whatever. And then don't take a car payment. Don't, don't, don't get yourself into a car payment because it's, it, it's way worse than you think it is from a financial standpoint. Just go buy a Civic for two grand until you can up level and do something else. So I think following those two things allowed me to still like live a modicum of a normal life with friends and, you know, going out to dinner sometimes mm-hmm. than, than if I had gone the other way and be like, no, I have to have a fancy apartment and a new car because that would, would have kept me in, in struggle the whole time. Oh yeah, absolutely. Your environment, I mean, ultimately you're the one making that purchase, but there, you know, environmental forces are powerful. Yeah, they really are. And just, just knowing that you don't have to, you know, you don't have to, uh, 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 look, people don't really care as much as you think they do, unless you're like, you know, living in Hollywood and everyone's. Yeah. Left, and if there are people like that in your world, get, get rid of them. <laughs> yeah. They don't need to be there. They don't really. Oh, you reminded me. You reminded me of one other thing I like to do. So when I, when I talk to people about like, let's say you're, you're out of work at the moment. And these are like, I got so good at doing like free hacks to put myself into great positions. This is one of them and probably the, the best one. And, and I even did it last weekend. So when you are, when you have some time freedom, meaning you don't, maybe you're, uh, maybe you don't have a job or you don't have a thing going on right now, take your laptop. You know, when you go to, when you're working and trying to get your brand put together, often we'll go to coffee shops. I don't know if you've ever done that for news, but I did it all the time because mm-hmm. I like to be out in the world, not just like working in a studio, you know? And instead of going to the sort of Starbucks in the local, you know, wherever, my closest one, I would go to the nicest neighborhood in my town. And I would go to that Starbucks or I'd go to the, you know, the Ritz Carlton and go work in their lobby. And then when happy hour would come along, I'd order a glass of wine and I'd have my, I'd bring my laptop to the bar of the Ritz Carlton and I would just sit there and work. And inevitably I would get tons of conversations from people that were clearly successful because they wouldn't be staying at the Ritz Carlton otherwise. And you never know what kind of opportunities would come from that. I've gotten invites to hockey games and to car shows and to all kinds of things from conversations I had at those environments. And when you do that, you know, they always say that more work gets done at the, at the, on the golf course than in the boardroom. Oh, yeah. That's, a, that's equivalent to the golf course. And it's free. So put on some nice clothes. <laughs> go to a nice Bring your business coffee card. shop. <laughs> go to a nice coffee shop. Go to a nice hotel bar and just do your work there. And you will inevitably meet some people that are moving and shaking, have some money, and will see the hustle in you. And I think that's that was critical for me. That is brilliant. And actually, my brother, my much younger brother, he put together all of his savings, everything, and flew out to Phoenix for the Super Bowl by himself. Wow. He's just that much of a fan. It's a lot of money. And yeah. And I said to him, my husband and I were both like, you better, uh, you know, take some names while you're there because whoever is sitting around you <laughs> likely, you know, is, is important or successful or do up to good things. So hobnob while you're at the Super Bowl, and, uh, he's yet to come home yet. So I hope he has. Well, how? Yeah. He's hobnobbing. Hopefully. I mean, it, get a return on the, your investment. I mean, it's nice to be <laughs> right. there and everything and see the Patriots win, but. Right. But that whole thing is just like the, the idea behind it though, is just put yourself in a position to get lucky, mm-hmm. you know? And then, you know, for me, I did buy my first sort of car payment car that I bought in years. But the first thing I did is I wrapped it in Solopreneur Hour graphics. So now it's a write-off. It's advertising. And 
I you saw, just gotta be smart about those. Yeah, things. you have t-shirts. I should yeah. probably sell t-shirts. I don't know. Every some people have asked me for so many t-shirts. Maybe it'll be coming to a You're so, a website yeah. for you. I like it. You're so money would be a great t-shirt. So I what I do is when I go to an event, I'll make 50 t-shirts. I'll I'll pay for them ahead of time. And I will give them away. And I do them on only like America, American Apparel 2001. So they're really nice quality shirts made in the USA. And I, I make 50 of them. And I give them to people that promise to wear them at the event. And otherwise, I don't. So I have one that says, um, uh, I'm unemployable. That was the, the first sort of viral hit that happened last year at NMX. One that says, proudly unemployable. And then one that says, I think we're Facebook friends. I love that one. Yeah. And so they all have their own little kind of viral nature. Um, and they've all done really well at different shows. All right. We are almost through here. But before we wrap, and you've been such a wonderful guest and gracious, uh, if you'll bear with me, I've got some so many fill in the blanks. Oh, good. Sure. <laughs> They're all fun. right. First thing all that right. comes to your mind, don't right, we'll overthink do it. Uh, if I won the lottery tomorrow, let's say $100 million, what's the first thing you would do? I would call my cousin Molly, who lives in New York, and say, pack whatever you need to. And then I would call my half-brother Jim in uh, Ohio, both of which have struggled financially severely. And I'd say, we're going around the world. And I would take all of my best friends with me uh, and pluck them out of whatever they were doing and go travel the world with them. I love that. And maybe give them a little send-off gift. <laughs> oh, of course I would. Yeah, yeah. Couple, I'd make sure they were set geez, up. Yeah. Good to go. Yeah, they'd be good to go. The one thing that I spend my money on that makes my life easier or better is? Um, uh, one thing. Jeez. Probably, I mean, this is awful. Probably, probably my laptop. Probably I bought the best Mac laptop they made. So probably that. Yeah. Uh, that, that's, that's between that and, you know, my iPhone. <laughs> You know, I was in the Apple Terrible store. I was in the Apple store the other day, and I was trying to decide whether to get a desktop computer or just a screen. And the sales really? guy, well, yeah, because I, I'm doing this whole standing desk thing, and I want I want a better screen. I just have a laptop, and I'm still oh, figuring yeah. out the the works. But the guy was like, "Well, if you just want a screen, you should go to Best Buy." <laughs> I'm like, "Does your right. manager right. know that?" <laughs> and I was like, I appreciate your honesty, right, but yeah, he was. Uh, so that's how cool they are at Apple is that they will steer you in an opposite direction. <laughs> you can get a way better uh, monitor from Best Buy for way cheaper than you can one of the Apple monitors. Yeah. It just won't look as cool. I know. I was like, but I really like the Apple logo. Yeah. My biggest guilty pleasure that I spend a lot of money on is. Right now it's my, so I go through the phases of cars, watches, hi-fi, cars, watches, hi-fi. So right now it's, right now it's, it's hi-fi, it's stereo stuff. So, mm -hmm. uh, yeah, it's, it's, um, that's, and that goes, it, that goes way too deep, but yeah, it's, um, I'm, I'm just buying new cables for my whole setup now. They're, they're going to cost a couple grand. Do you have sets? Do you play? Do you go out and perform still? Yeah, that's different. I mean, the music thing is different. Yeah. Yeah. I play often. Yeah. I'm a, I'm a, like a session drummer, so I get hired to play stuff that's different than the the stereo stuff the listening right. side but yes is uh yeah i do i I'm, absolutely it's sure. in my blood man i've been playing since i was in second grade oh my gosh just shows you how uh informed i am about music <laughs> you said speakers i thought <laughs> drums it's all yeah. yeah no this is like literally just sitting down and listening to music which i haven't done in years like think about the last time you sat down and listened to a cd like mm. start to finish 
How long has that been? I think it was like boys to men, like 1993 yeah. or something like that. Crazy. And, and, and so it's crazy, right? And so when you do that and you go, oh my gosh, we, we, there, we compress music so much because of MP3s now. There's so much stuff to hear on a CD that we don't even hear anymore in our music. And so I'm like really into that authentic reproduction of what we hear. One thing I wish I'd known about money growing up is... Man, I, this is when I wish I could talk to my parents and go, really? You didn't tell me any of this at all? Um, it's that it's way more important than I ever gave it, uh, credit for that, that the adage that, that, uh, money can't buy happiness is, is probably BS. Um, cause it certainly gives you a leg up on happiness. I'll tell you, um, <laughs> it gets you, it gets you, gets you down the road. Um, I, I think, uh, that, it's, it's important enough at an early age. I look at some of these investors and how they, they tell you to invest that I wish my dad to the 22 year old me had been like, look, just put 150 bucks a month away and forget about it. Mm-hmm. If, even if I had just done that, you know, it would have, and now that I'm 43 it would have been a, a pretty colossal, a sum of cash, but I didn't know that enough. The one thing I hear from a lot of older people, not that you're older, but, you know, 30s, 40s, 50s, not 20s, uh, they say, the one thing I regret is not saving more in my 20s. And even though you're yeah. you're 25 and you feel like you can't possibly put aside any more money or any money, the reality is, is that the older you get, uh, and even when you're making more money, the reality is you have other expenses that you probably have to be responsible for. Perhaps you're married, maybe you have kids, you have a mortgage. So saving doesn't get easier, but it is a habit that the earlier you engage in, I think it'll just become more second nature and and, and hopefully easier as you get older. Well, I learned a good financial lesson recently, which was uh, PayPal has a, I do a lot of my business through PayPal. I have a big coaching group called Solo Lab and, you know, they pay through PayPal. And so when, when, PayPal sees you making enough money. They say, Hey, you qualify for this thing called PayPal working capital. We'll give you a loan. We'll give you just whatever, eight grand, 10 grand. And as you get money coming in, we'll just automatically take a percentage out of that money coming in. I said, okay. So I did it. And I, I invested, I did a couple things with the money and I took 25% off of every, every dime that came in. And for three months, all my money that came in was subtracted 25%. And guess what? I'm still here. Right. And I paid all my bills and I lived a life. And I thought, wait a second, that means that I could be putting 25% away without any hit to my, my lifestyle. Wow. Um, yeah. And, and that's. So do that. <laughs> right. Exactly. So do that. And I think that um, when you're, when you're a kid, when you're in your twenties, you think that, well, I don't have enough to invest. And what you don't realize is that a hundred bucks a month is enough to invest. Mm-hmm. Like, 50 a month is enough to like, just to get in and get going. Just, you know, it's, we, we think that it, we think investing is for rich people and really investing is supposed to be for everybody. Well, because putting away money hurts, you know, even if you're doing automatically the thought that this isn't money that you're going to have to be able to spend on something more exciting is painful. And, but I think the earlier you can flex that muscle, uh, just again, the easier it will be. And you will be delightfully surprised to know that it's not actually that painful in, in, in practice, that just the thought of it is kind of scary and 
you feel like you absolutely cannot do this. But once you do and you kind of automate that system, uh, you'll be really happy when you're 30, 35, 40, and you've got, you know, a nice little nest egg all because you started early. Because guess what? Something's going to happen. Yeah. You're going to need the money for something someday. Someone's going to get hurt. Someone's going to, something's going to happen to your house or whatever it is. Or you're you want need, to become a solopreneur, right? And you, you want to transition oh, yes, out right. of your day, nine to That's five, right. right? You want to have a runway. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Right. Last but not least, I'm so money because? Because I never, uh, I never, when things were the worst, I never stopped. I always picked myself up by my bootstraps and I don't, I, I never made any excuses. Well, you're completely inspiring. I mean, as again, as I said, I, I just started podcasting. You are such a leader for all of us and not just podcasters, but anybody really out there who's looking to make a difference to, as you said, maybe not start the next IBM or Google, but to be able to have more freedom in how you spend your time. Everyone, please check out Michael's podcast, The Solopreneur Hour. And the website is solohour.com. That's right, because nobody can spell preneur. So I just shortened that part. You got got to make a URL that you can say on on the air that people can understand. That is something that I learned with our (laughs) before launching as well. Thank you, thank you, thank you. I look forward to being on your show and uh, good luck with the podcast. Thank you so much, Farnoosh, and thanks for having me. That is a wrap. If you'd like to learn more about Michael, check out his website, solohour.com and his podcast, Solopreneur Hour. You can also follow him on Twitter at Solo Hour. We've got all this information at somanypodcast.com. And of course, there you can also get the transcript and the comments from this episode and all other episodes. And as always, keep your questions coming. Head over to somanypodcast.com, click on Ask Farnoosh and ask away about money, career, guests, life. You name it, I'm probably going to answer it. Now, if you love what you're hearing and you want the podcast to continue, I would love to hear from you and see your review on iTunes. Just take a few minutes and leave uh, a review on iTunes. It's the single most impactful way, actually, to um, support the podcast. In addition to, of course, listening and subscribing, reviews count big time. Good reviews get you good placement in the iTunes store, good ranking, and people find you. Otherwise, I'd be drowning in the sea of podcasts that is iTunes. And when you leave a review, do let me know. As an incentive, I'm picking one new reviewer every week on Saturdays. I read the review out loud on the Saturday podcast, and I I give this person the opportunity to schedule a 15-minute free money session with me over Skype. How about that? Not bad, right? And so thanks again for tuning in. I hope your day is so money. 